Well, we are continuing our series, Filters, this morning. Filters is our series on the letter of Jude. And filters can be used one of two ways. One way is filters are preventative. So filters are in your, believe it or not, in your engine. You have your oil filter, and it prevents dust and particles from getting up into your engine and damaging it. Same thing in your house. We have air filters that prevent damage, dust and particles getting up into our HVAC system. Filters are also used in lights. Uh, filters can be used to change the color of something, change the light, and so we receive it in a different way. It changes our perception or our perspective of it. The same thing can happen, too. If you put like, um, like food coloring, it changes the color of something. And here's the deal. God's Word also, when we apply it, it should change our perspective on how we view life, on how we see the world. So today we're going to be looking at the filter of faithfulness, the filter of faithfulness. So I did some studying and some research on this idea that in our culture, commitment is lacking. In our culture, commitment is lacking. So I've heard many people say before, especially celebrities, that they were going to leave America if Trump was elected in 2016. (laughs) Many of them did not leave. Many of them stayed put. 16% 16% of Americans said that actually the same thing during Trump's term. Hey, if you get elected, we're out of here. 10% said the same thing during Obama's two terms. Few, few stayed true to their word. Did you know that the average person changes jobs about 12 times in their lifetime? Uh, the average employee stays with their employer for about four years. Did you know that with Generation Z, they are afraid of commitment? Uh, I was watching the documentary Town on Netflix. And a few of the high schoolers were being interviewed, and they were just, they're, they're, they're petrified of commitment. They are afraid of commitment. Uh, how about ghosting? Ghosting is very normal. Did you know that 30% of uh, U.S. adults have ghosted someone, whether a friend or a date? 80% of U.S. millennials have ghosted at least once. During the pandemic, and I, some of you teachers who are watching, I'm sure you're going to just grow in frustration with this. And you, but you know it's true. During the pandemic, some of the kids in middle school and high school, at least in Stafford County, they would mute their video, which means all it was is a black screen. And I've heard from different teachers that it was a pass or fail, that if their student was on, the majority of the time, they would pass. Now, what they did on the other side of the screen wasn't really the point. The point was that they had to be present. They had to be logged on. If they logged on for the majority of the time period, they, or the majority of not only the time period, but the duration of the class, they passed. It was pass or fail. And I know, talking from athletes, they said, hey, we just played video games. We logged on and we just, we just played video games. And I've heard teachers catching their student playing video games. They forgot to mute themselves. I think the kicker of it all is U.S. church membership is under 50% for the first time ever. 47% of families attend church on a regular basis. Okay, so what that means is there's a generation who is no longer going to church. They grew up maybe as a kid, they go to church, and they became adults, and they're not going to church, which means the generation that they are raising are not going to church. So 47% attend church regularly. 
first time ever in U.S. history, church membership, church attendance fell below 50%. So here's what that's telling us. It's telling us that Americans struggle with commitment when it really comes to really important things, things like relationships, finances, job, and church. And it implies that Americans, Americans, especially Generation Z, that we're missing faithfulness. We're missing faithfulness. So faithfulness is a quality of loyalty and devotion. Judah's done just a brilliant job with helping us understand the filters that we need to apply in our life. And we're going to talk about one, and he's going to inspire us that in this hedonistic culture, and hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure, that in our culture that's never good enough, that we're always looking for the next best thing. We're always looking for the thing that is going to promise us satisfaction and fulfillment. So we're always looking for that, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's in a, a device or whether it's in an investment, we are looking for more. What we have just isn't enough is we're looking for more. And so Jude was writing in a, in a Roman culture that's very hedonistic. And so he's writing to a group of local churches and letting them know, hey, guys, you need, you need to stay faithful in this hedonistic culture. And we've already talked about the false teachers who pursued hedonism. They wanted the spotlight. They wanted to do this. They wanted to do that. And they would manipulate people. They would exploit people for their benefit. He's like, guys, I'm inspiring you. Dealing with that and dealing with the Roman hedonistic culture. He's inspiring them. And he's inspiring us to live a faithful life to Jesus. So notice what he writes. He says, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. And the way that we do this is that we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what Jude is going to do, he's going to show us three things, three steps of faithfulness for each follower of Jesus. And so here's the first one, personal devotion. Personal devotion. In the phrase, build each other up in your most holy faith, it literally in the original language reads this way. Build up in your most holy faith. Build up in your most holy faith. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we do that? It requires both your head and your heart. It requires my head and my heart. So what the head does is it builds faith through information, and the heart deepens faith through intimacy. So another way that we could say it is information builds our faith, and intimacy deepens our faith. The word build, and I believe that Jude was very intentional with this word. This word is a construction term that means to build in a systematic, orderly, and thorough process. Okay, so here's what that means. For those who are uh, maybe new to faith, one of the things that I encourage people to do is don't go ahead and try to do everything at once. It's like drinking out of a water fountain instead of a fire hydrant. The fire hydrant, man, you get blown away. Why? Because of the pressure there. There's, there's just so much. But with a water fountain, it's more plotable. You can handle it. Okay? And so when it comes to information, same way. You want to handle a little bit of information once we receive it, and then once we understand it, we get more information. Okay, so one of the things we, we, we talk about, especially with those who are new to faith, and maybe you're new to faith, one of the things we encourage is read through one of the Gospels. 
whether Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read through one of the Gospels because the foundation of our faith isn't in Genesis, it's actually in the Gospels. The foundation of the Christian faith is Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the foundation of our faith. Once we understand that this is his story, the Bible is, is actually his story. Really, we're not the main. We're not the main characters. Jesus is the main character. The Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. The New Testament points back to Jesus. And so we encourage them: Hey, look through one of the Gospels, and then let's go back to Genesis. Because once we get the foundation, we're able to build on that with more information. Uh, here's what it looks like in our church: We have a very uh, I believe that we have a really clear system when it comes to discipleship. And discipleship is helping you grow as a follower of Jesus. And so one way is by attending on Sunday, whether online or in person. And the messages are geared to those who are, who are outside of faith, those who are investigating Christianity, to those who have been following Jesus for like 60 years. And then starting point would be the first step. Starting point is... Uh, those is for those who are investigating Christianity, those who are new to faith. Right. And then we go to D groups. D groups is our discipleship, our development groups. You dig a little deeper from starting point. And then our community groups dig even more deeper from, from uh, the D group. And then we have theopraxis, and theopraxis is uh, basically seminary level uh, groups. And then we also have leadership teams. It's a cycle. It's a systematic order of discipling and helping people grow in their faith. Then he also says that our heart, it deepens our faith. Our, our heart deepens our faith. So information is one thing. It builds our faith. But when we pray, when we spend time with God, it deepens our faith because we're able to know the character of God. We, we're able to know who God is. And when we know who God is, it really opens us up to trust him more. Jude says, hey, one of the ways we do this is we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is the way that we communicate with God. He, the term for prayer or pray is a continuous, ongoing process. And when we pray in the Spirit, here's what that means. It means we're empowered, we're inspired, we're guided, we're assisted by the Spirit on the basis of that he will do whatever it takes to help us with prayer, love, and service. This isn't about speaking in other languages. This is praying in the Spirit, meaning empowered, inspired, guided, and assisted by him. He'll do whatever it takes to help us with prayer, with love, service, what he has called us to do. And you also notice this, he says, you must build each other up in your most holy faith. It means that you, it means that, that, I, that, I, that I take ownership of my faith, that you take ownership of your faith. Guys, we can't do this for our kids. We can't do this for our parents who may have, maybe have walked away from faith. Look, we can't do this for anybody. The only thing that we could do is inspire them to follow Jesus. It's the only thing that we could do. We can't. We can't own it for them. It's like um, for Jenny and I, we, we look at it as starting a fire. Um, we go and we get the kindling, we get the small pieces of wood, and we get the bigger pieces of wood. And what we do is we, we build the fire. And that's what we're trying to do for Brooke. 
We are building the fire. We are spending time with her every night, reading the Bible, praying with her. We talk with her about faith, about Jesus. We're very open about that. But we know that we can't save her. We know that we can't make, make her decide to become a follower of Jesus. We know that. But what we do is, we, man, we keep, we keep the fire going. And then eventually one day, she'll take over. She'll trust Christ. And then she'll get the fire going. She'll keep it going. First step, personal devotion. Second step, the faithfulness is perseverance. He says, and wait, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. I, I, love, what, I love what Jude is doing. He, he's helping us focus on, yes, life is going to be a little shaky. Life is going to be very hedonistic, but Jesus is coming back. And, and remember, we talked a couple weeks ago the difficulty, the tension with living in the in-between, the here and the not yet. And there's tension living in the here and the not yet. The fact is that the kingdom has, has come, but it's not in its fullness, and it won't come in its fullness until the king comes back. And he's saying, guys, there's hope there. There's hope there. The word keep is the same word as Jude uses in verses 1 and 2. We talked about it in the very, I believe, the very first week where God guards us. That once you become a follower of Jesus, you don't lose it. You know, once you become a follower of Jesus, you're adopted into God's family. And the, the next time you sin, God's not looking at ripping up the, the adoption papers. He's all in for you, man. He's keeping, he's keeping you safe. He, he's guarding you. He's guarding the gift that he's given you. That it's the gift of salvation, man. We are set free. That's a gift. And man, I know there's some people, man, they've, they've, they've trashed that gift. And that speaks more about them than it does about God. So that same word about guard, how God guards us, he guards our salvation. Well, the same thing happens when we, when we have hope that Jesus is coming back, when we have hope in eternity, that he's going to make all things right, that he's going to make all things new. That guards us from giving up. It guards us from giving up. Third step, outreach. He says, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Those who are ready to give up. Those who are being sucked in in this hedonistic culture. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still or calm others. But do so with great caution hating the sins that contaminate their lives. All right, personal devotion, perseverance, and outreach. One of the things that we can look back in time about is that after, during the time Jude wrote this, and then even after the time that Jude wrote this, Christians showed mercy and compassion to the Romans. And it was counter to Roman culture. And what happened is that that drew Romans in. The, the, the mercy and the compassion for the Christians drew Romans in and they became followers of Jesus themselves. And the early church did things really, really well. Here's a few things that they did to show mercy. They valued each other regardless of race. They had one thing in common, that was they belonged to Jesus. Things were more simple back then. 
there wasn't First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist. There wasn't a Pentecostal or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran. Was it any of that? It was either you belonged to Jesus or you didn't. You were a follower of Jesus or you weren't a follower of Jesus. It was so simple back then. It wasn't as complicated as it is now. Two, they helped those who were poor. Many, many of them were slaves, willing to share what they had with others who didn't have. Because the Romans built the system and they created social and economical classes. And what happens is the church came in and they quietly served those who were without. Women were valued, which is why women were a, a majority demographic of the early church. Slaves were empowered to live free through Christ. And then they attempted to make peace through their example. I mean, church leaders, and there's documents of church leaders encouraging people to stay in their family, not to get divorced, not to walk away, not to leave with a pagan husband or a pagan wife. No, stay put, stay in their city, stay in their country, and be as loyal and as honorable as a person as they could in that society without compromising their faith. They were supposed to be peacemakers. They also, they condemned child exposure. And this was a Roman practice. And what they would do is they would abandon their child that they didn't want. They would drown it, they would throw it out in the trash, or they would put it out in the element. And what, what happened is Christians would come and they would take that baby and they would adopt that baby. The other thing is they condemned, the early church condemned the practice of pedophilia through teaching. It was a common practice for men to have sex with slave girls and slave boys as young as five or six. And they taught against that. And against all odds, the church outlasted Rome. Christians were not empowered by culture, yet they overpowered culture through living out their faith. Galen, who was a Greek physician and philosopher, said this, these Christians, they exhibit the kind of virtues in their behavior that we associate with Stoic philosophical training. I don't buy their beliefs at all, but it's amazing that they can live out these virtues that we ordinarily associate with philosophical training. He's like, look, these people aren't even trained to be virtuous, and yet they are. How's that possible? See, it was God's will that the early church silenced their critics by doing good and not fighting authority, that they valued the multi-ethnic expression of their faith. They served the poor. They were peacemakers. They were pro-life, and they had sexual integrity. Larry Hurtado, in his book, Destroy of the Gods, he, he writes this. He said, in the early centuries, Christians had no such force they could use, even if they wanted to. They were forced simply to defend their faith by reason, by argumentation, and by the demonstrable moral quality of their lives and their readiness to live by what they said. Guys, I believe that the early church was an example that we need to follow. Guys, clever arguments and cliche statements won't win people over. It's important that we show mercy, compassion, with caution. Like we're not getting sucked into sin. But it's also clear that we're supposed to hate sin and love people. You know what? You know what makes people unlovable? Sin. Sin makes you unlovable. Sin makes me unlovable. I mean, just ask my wife. Sin makes me unlovable. But the same thing goes with you too. Sin makes you unlovable. Sin makes people unlovable. The reason why we're supposed to love people is because we are all created in God's image. 
we're all image bearers. Because the only way to stay faithful is to live out our faith through total dependence on the Holy Spirit. Life is going to get shaky. Life is going to be unbalanced. Life is going to be unstable. The thing that keeps us calm is God's compassion for us, his mercy for us. And that, that provides us peace in the shaky times. And we're called, Jude says, look, you're supposed to do that for other people. You're supposed to, your kindness, your mercy, it ought to settle other people. It ought to calm, it ought to still others. As we think of showing other people God's kindness and God's mercy, what God is doing in us to calm us, to give us peace, we're to give that to other people. And there's a story of a nurse who was taking care of a woman, an old lady in a western Oklahoma nursing home. And this is how the story goes. It was a muggy summer night, and many of the residents seemed more restless than usual. One of the patients, an elderly woman with a sour disposition, wouldn't even venture near. She was very ill. Her doctor had quietly told the nurses she probably only had hours to live. As the woman yelled loudly once again for everyone to help her, the nurse hurried down to the end of the hallway to her room. When she arrived at the room, like many times before, the woman did not appear to need assistance. Instead, she only wanted someone with her. She constantly complained. She complained so much that nurses wanted nothing to do with her. Residents wanted nothing to do with her. In fact, no one from her family ever visited her. She was all alone. And so the woman goes in, and then she leaves. A little while later, the nurse returned to the woman's room with the sleeping pill prescribed by the doctor. She spoke in quiet tones to calm the woman who seemed so very tired. Suddenly, she looked up. Terror filled the old eyes as she said, I know I don't have much longer to live, and I'm afraid. Big tears began to roll down her wrinkled cheeks as she, her eyes pleaded with the woman for understanding and to stay. The nurse's heart filled with compassion as she went to the woman then and put her arms around her. It was near midnight and her fur, frail, frail body shuddered as she cried, I'm afraid to die. As she saw for many, many minutes, the nurse was finally able to quiet the old lady. She looked up from her bed, wrinkled cheeks wet with tears, and asked, Would you stay with me? I'm so afraid. The nurse remembered a time many years before when she was a small child. Her mother had died when she was very young, and she remembered the terror of waking up in the middle of the night with nightmares and no one there to comfort her. She remembered nights been awake fighting sleep because she did not want the nightmares to come. So a lump rose in her throat. Tears filled her eyes. She nodded silently. She sat in the bed with her. She gently held the frail little body and stroked her hair until the last sleeping pill took effect and she fell asleep. In the early hours of the morning, the nurse went back to check on the woman, quietly opening the door, walking over to her bed. She saw that the woman looked peaceful, even a smile. But then 
she had stopped breathing. Tears again filled her eyes as she realized her kindness, her compassion, had been the last kindness, last act of compassion shown to the old woman before she passed away that night. Guys, there are people in our lives who are tired, who are weak, who are frail, some who are afraid of the unstableness of our culture, the the unsteadiness of uh, of the stock market, and they're just afraid. They, 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 they fear what they don't know because they're trying to do this on their own strength and they just need some people who, who find their peace from someone else, able to come alongside of them and still them. See, the church, we can model what faithfulness looks like through total dependence on the Holy Spirit. It's our calling from God to show that there's a better way to live this life through rather than our own strength. Our call from God is to live a life of faithfulness in a culture that's unstable, in a culture that's shaky, in a culture that's hedonistic. There's a story of a little boy uh, who'd been invited to a friend's birthday party, and he was so excited, and man, he started counting the days until the party. But the morning of the party, he was devastated when he woke up and saw that a blizzard came during the night. And so the snow was falling in wet and heavy flakes and the wind was still howling. And the dad said to his son, he's like, I don't think you should go to the party. And so a couple of hours go by. I mean, he's so excited. He has the gift. It's just a block down the road. He just wants to, to go. He began to beg his dad to allow him to go. And finally with much to his surprise, his dad says, all right, you can go to the party. The little boy bundled up his hat, he got his coat, he's got his gloves, and he started down the street to his friend's house. And as he's walking and he's about to turn to go up the steps, he looks in the corner of eye, he sees his dad looking and turning around and going back to his house. And in that moment, he realized that his dad was following him. He realized in that moment that his dad was behind him all along, that he was never alone, that his dad walked behind him to make sure that he was safe. Guys, there are times when we feel like we're alone. There are times where we feel like we can't handle this. But in truth, we are always surrounded by God's love and his goodness. There's never a time that we are truly on our own. And even when we don't believe him as we should, even though we're not as faithful as we ought to be to him, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. And who is he? He is faithful. He is faithful to his word. He is faithful to his promises. And he is faithful to his people. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us of your faithfulness. Thank you for reminding us of how faithful that you, how faithful you are regardless of our faithfulness to you. And, and God, what I love about that story is that it reminds us that we are never alone, that you never leave us alone. God, thank you for that. Father, there are people in our lives who need to be calmed, who need to be, who need to have the peace that we have. And so Father, provide us opportunities to show people love and compassion. I pray that we will remain faithful, that we will be uh, receiving information, 
and it builds our faith, and then we are deepening our faith by praying, and we're spending time with you, getting to know who you are. Father, that we are sticking it out, that we are hoping that Jesus is coming back, that we are praying for that. And then, Father, that we are willing to reach out to those who need help. In Jesus' name.